Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to episode 54 of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. And you know, last episode, it was mostly a bunch of college football news with a tad bit of NFL. Today, we're going to go vice versa. We're not really going to have a lot of college football news, but it's going to be a lot, and I mean a lot of NFL signings, not really too, too much MLB news to talk about, but we will talk about the current state of the NBA playoffs. Now, guys, before we do begin today's episode, I do want to ask y'all, please make sure that you are following the official Instagram and TikTok of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. Both of those platforms continue to grow and grow. It might be slow and steady, but hey, the biggest thing it is going steady. But anyway, guys, I really do hope that y'all enjoy today's episode. Let's get right into today's college football segment. Now, we really only have one news to talk about, but this news is actually kind of interesting for the college football landscape. And you're wondering, well, it can't be too, too much. We've already had a lot of conference changes. We have, we've, you know, had a lot of discussions about the college football playoff. But this actual commitment is really huge for the future of college football. Now, this recruitment news is actually regarding 2023 four-star quarterback Eli Holston who currently is at Zachary High School in Zachary Louisiana now Zachary he was named Gatorade or Louisiana Gatorade player of the year last year so obviously very and I mean very huge prospect he's ranked as the 54th ranked recruit in the whole country and the eighth ranked quarterback in the country what is most appealing about Eli is the fact that he is at a whopping 6'4 222 pounds so dude is built like an NFL you know prodigy quarterback he has the ideal size the ideal height and everything that you want out of a you know a good quarterback and the best part about him is he is a great pocket passer and throughout his high school career considering that he just finished up his junior year a lot of scouts have even said that his athleticism as a scrambler has continued to improve every single year so that's another thing that you know that's why a lot of schools wanted to get after him now originally Eli was actually committed to Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher so you know A&M finally would get another high, highly touted quarterback recruit. I mean, they just got Max Johnson from LSU. They got Haynes King right behind them. So I guess, like we all kind of were thinking, you know, a lot of kids are going to, you know, decommit from A&M due to the fact that how deep they are at pretty much every single position, whether it is on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball. But in this case, this is regarding the quarterback room at A&M, as we saw Zach Calzada, who was actually their starting quarterback last year, transfer over to Auburn, probably due to the fact that, hey, his job was going to be in question, and he knew he had to dip ASAP. But anyway, besides the fact, back in March, Eli actually did decommit from Texas A&M, once again, probably due to depth issues and the fact that, hey, I'll be sitting for about two to three years, won't really get an opportunity, and then I'll end up transferring then. So it's better just to actually make a decent commitment now versus waiting, obviously, two to three years down the road. But actually, on Tuesday, Eli announced that he will be committing to, drumroll prees, Alabama. Bama. And yes, you're probably wondering what's the big deal about this. I mean, they're both SEC rivals, so, you know, so what? Well, if you don't remember from past couple episodes, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher have kind of kind of been at each other's necks regarding the whole NIL situation. Jimbo Fisher pretty much is having to defend himself saying, "We didn't illegally recruit these kids. They rightfully came here. There's only one kid on our team, probably Evan Stewart, who has a huge NIL deal." But no offense, you get eight five-star recruits in one cycle, like 14, 15 four-stars and a decent amount of three-stars. It is a little shady, especially when you just got off an eight and four season. But besides the fact Nick Saban actually kind of got the final laugh 
because in case you didn't watch any of Jimbo Fisher's press conferences or any of the public announcements that he did make regarding the whole Nick Saban situation, <laughs> he kind of bashed Nick Saban in a lot of these saying, hey, look under the surface, look under the carpet. He's not as clean as you think he is. You know, he's done a lot of these dirty techniques. That's why a lot of his assistant coaches are some of the best recruiters in the country. And we've seen it with, you know, even Jeremy Pruitt when he had the whole $100,000 in McDonald's bag situations. Kirby Smart is still a great recruiter, the head coach down there in Georgia. And obviously, you know, Jimbo Fisher, who was a descent from the Nick Saban coaching tree back at LSU when he was an assistant with Nick Saban, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, he's kind of saying, hey, 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 don't take jabs at me when I learned all of my techniques from you. Now, do I think Nick Saban probably does use some NIL? Yes. And even Nick Saban said himself, you know, you have to nowadays in this current college football landscape. But what he's saying is we're not offering 10 recruits, $30 million NIL deals, not each, but we're spreading it across all these 10 recruits. You know, these are 17-year-old, 18-year-old kids, but, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to possibly be able to compete in the SEC. As we all know, the SEC is the most competitive conference in the whole country, and that's without a doubt. This is coming from a Big 12 fan, obviously a TCU fan. We all know the SEC is super competitive, especially when it comes to recruiting, because you have to remember A&M has to compete you know, currently right now with Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, those schools. And then now you got to add on the fact that Texas and OU are going to be moving to the SEC in the next couple of years. It, you know, desperate situations come with desperate solutions to those situations. And that's kind of what I think Jimbo Fisher is doing. And it also helps the fact that A&M is one of the more financially sound programs in the whole country too especially in the state of texas so that definitely didn't help the case either with the whole nil situation but anyway back to eli and his commitment to alabama obviously once cj stroud and all them are gone eli could possibly be able to take the reins i think he definitely could he definitely seems like the prototypical nick saban quarterback if you want to say obviously we've seen in the past nick saban has a lot more scrambling quarterbacks whether it was tua jalen hurts or even currently right now, Bryce Young, because he has a crazy amount of athleticism, that's kind of seen what the whole college football landscape they want nowadays is a lot more agile quarterbacks. I mean, obviously, A.J. McCarron was a stud back in the early 2010s. You know, he was a great pocket passer and didn't really transition to the NFL, but still was great. Eli kind of reminds me of that possibly for the um, Alabama Crimson Tide if he does eventually become their starter. But anyway, it looks like Nick Saban did get the final laugh because he kind of did steal... Eli away from A&M and, you know, Jimbo Fisher. So I just thought it was pretty funny. I mean, he obviously he's a highly touted recruit. He's a pretty much a top 50 prospect in the 2023 class, and it's going to continue to add to that insane quarterback depth that Alabama also does have themselves. And then finally, for that kind of wrap-up today's college football segment, we actually do have one transfer portal news, and this is actually regarding former Texas wide receiver Marcus Washington. Now, Marcus Washington, he had been with Texas the past three years or so, only having about 366 yards and three touchdowns. So, obviously, statistically, it was not very dominant. But during this past season, he actually did have 18 catches for 277 yards and two touchdowns. So, a lot of those career statistics did come from last season. Now, he officially did announce on Tuesday that he would be transferring over to Nebraska. So he will be joining his former Texas quarterback, Casey Thompson, who just transferred to Nebraska earlier on this year. And also, does not forget Marcus Washington. He is a former four-star recruit, so the talent is there, and he also will still have two years of eligibility. So I think the fact Scott Frost has had such a 
dominant transfer portal class this year, getting guys like Trey Palmer, a former wide receiver at LSU, getting TCU transfer edge rusher O'Shawn Mathis. That one still hurts a lot, but I'm glad he went to Nebraska over Texas anyway. And then also the fact that they went out and got Omar Brown, a very underrated cornerback from the University of Northern Iowa. So continues to very much dominate the transfer portal, at least in Big Ten I guess you could say terms. I mean, obviously, they lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal, but they did get a very decent amount back. So watch out for Nebraska maybe to finally take advantage of the opportunities they had a lot last season. I mean, a lot of people are considering last year's Nebraska team to be the best 3-9 and nine team of all time. And, I mean, you're probably like, what does that even mean? They went 3-9. and nine. How could you be one of the greatest 3-9 and nine teams of all time? Well, I think their average margin of defeat was like three or four points and a lot of those games they only lost by a touchdown or less so it wasn't like they were getting blown out like we've seen Nebraska in the past couple years it was mostly a bunch of nail-biting games but anyway Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers they get a major pickup in former four-star wide receiver Marcus Washington who was formerly at Texas now guys that does wrap up today's college football segment like I said not a crazy amount of news there's only really two huge topics to talk about but I do think the whole Eli situation is kind of funny because, you know, Jimbo Fisher did talk a lot more than Nick Saban did, but it seemed like Nick Saban got the more silent laugh out of it. But anyway, guys, let's kind of transition over to our NFL portion of today's episode. And the first news that I do want to talk about is former Kansas City Chiefs running back Daryl Williams. Now, Daryl Williams, he is a free agent, and he actually decided that he will be signing with the Arizona Cardinals on a one-year deal. Now, in my opinion... Daryl Williams is one of the more underrated backs in the whole league. Now, he was an undrafted guy coming out of the 2018 class out of LSU. And during his four-year tenure with the Kansas City Chiefs, he racked up 1,600 scrimmage yards and 14 total touchdowns, which with most of these yards coming in the 2021 season due to former first-round pick Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was also out of LSU being injured for most of the year. But anyways, during the – or it was actually – let me take that back. It was during the 2020 season, so during the COVID year, he actually eclipsed the 1,000 scrimmage yard mark while recording 558 rushing yards and 452 receiving yards. So he was able to do both out of the backfield, whether it was receiving or rushing. Now, Daryl Williams, if you've never seen him actually play with the Kansas City Chiefs, he fit right in with the whole kind of, you know, if we need to put you here, you know, we better work out. If we need to put you here, you'll work out. Kind of what they always did with what seemed like Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill before he was traded to the Miami Dolphins. And every single running back, because that's exactly what they wanted to get out of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire when they drafted him in the 2020 draft. But it seemed like they got another version of that in Daryl Williams, who was an undrafted kid and was a lot cheaper to have. But anyway, Kansas City Chiefs, they did try to re-sign him. I guess, obviously, the Arizona Cardinals offered him a lot more money because they need another receiving back and their then their old receiving back Chase Edmonds actually decided to go sign with the Dolphins so that pretty much left that running back two position wide open and Daryl Williams will absolutely secure that spot once he does officially I guess when they do officially release the depth charts and all that but I know he will be a very solid running back behind James Conner who is more of a power back and we all have known that but anyway Arizona Cardinals continue to add a lot of offensive additions I mean most importantly they went out and traded for Marquise Brown from the Baltimore Ravens on day one of the NFL draft which he'll, he'll absolutely fit in on the outside or in the slot if they if you know need be because they lost Christian Kirk to the Jaguars they're probably going to trade Andy Isabella so now that leaves their top three wide receivers until DeAndre Hopkins get, gets back with just Marquise Brown AJ Green and 
second-year wide receiver Rondell Moore, who previously played at Purdue, who I absolutely was super high on going into the 2021 draft, and I think he'll have an amazing season, especially with the six games that he kind of will fulfill the slot position. But anyways, the Arizona Cardinals get an absolute steal of a signing in, running back Daryl Williams. The next couple news we actually have is going to be regarding the Indianapolis Colts. Now, the Colts, after trading Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders about a month or two ago, you know, they needed to fill the quarterback two position because, as we all know, they went out and traded for Falcons longtime starting quarterback Matt Ryan. So that solidified the spot that was, you know, pretty much left empty once the Colts did trade Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders. Now, the Colts were not completely bought on Sam Ellinger to be their, you know, longtime backup. So they actually went out and got a familiar face or most, more, more specifically, a familiar face for current head coach Frank Wright. Now, the Indianapolis Colts, they're signing longtime NFL quarterback Nick Foles to a two-year deal. Now, it was also rumored that the Philadelphia Eagles were looking for Nick Foles possibly to come back to Philly for a third time and reunite up there after, you know, most famously winning a Super Bowl with them back in 2017. You know, obviously having that the most one of the most famous plays of all time, the Philly Special. But anyway, Nick Foles will officially be the backup for the Indianapolis Colts going into the 2022 season. And obviously, worst comes to worst, Matt Ryan doesn't work out the way that the Colts wanted to. They will have a pretty reliable backup quarterback in Nick Foles, who will be going who will be going back to an offensive scheme that he is very familiar with. And next, it just seems like the Indianapolis Colts are not completely sold on their running back room yet, and they're trying to be able to have the title of best running back room in the whole NFL so they actually decided and went out and got former Ravens running back Tyson Williams now Tyson Williams he's a six foot 220 pound back a lot of people probably don't know too too much about him as he was drafted back in the 2020 draft out of BYU now he was a very I guess you could say solid running back with the Baltimore Ravens in his two seasons with the team I wouldn't say he was amazing or anything like Daryl Williams type that we talked about a little bit earlier on, but he was a very consistent, you know, second, third string running back. And as we all know, the Indianapolis Colts that I've talked about in the past couple episodes, they went out and got Philip Lindsay. They still have Naheem Hines, and obviously they got all pro running back Jonathan Taylor to start. So I guess they're kind of trying to just bolster up the depth chart. You know, worst comes to worst, at least we'll have something to fall back on. And so we won't absolutely destroy Jonathan Taylor during some kind of like garbage games, if you want to say, like playing the Texans or the, you know, the Jaguars. If, unless the Jaguars somehow become one of the better teams in the league, which they won't. But at least they will be able to have a lot more options to give Jonathan Taylor a lot of rest, which he will probably need because Naeem Hines, he's a great receiving back. Phillip Lindsay is a, can pretty much do both. Jonathan Taylor obviously is kind of good at both as well. And then Tyson Williams, he's a great power back, but also very elusive. So the Indianapolis Colts, they're really trying to, you know, say, hey, look, look, last season was just a fluke. Carson Wentz, he wasn't who we thought he was. Obviously, we want to at least test him out and see if him and Frank Wright could have the same connection. Obviously, things did not work out the way they planned to, so they will continue to go in a different direction with Matt Ryan and obviously a new and improved running back room. Now, that is it for the Indianapolis Colts topic. I mean, don't be shocked if they make a couple more sneaky good moves, maybe. I think Tyson Williams would be great. They'll probably end up releasing him during training camp or putting him on waivers, and then another team will end up picking him up. But, I mean, he is a really good back in the couple games he did play with the Ravens last season he looked really good so I mean I don't want to sound like I'm super high on him like he's going to be the next all pro running back 
for the Colts, but he definitely will be a solid backup. Now, the next news we have it is regarding former Buffalo Bills and New York Jets tight end Tyler Croft. Now, Tyler Croft, after spending one season with the New York Jets, he didn't really have an amazing gear based off just his numbers, let alone. But if you don't, if you've never really watched or seen him play, he is more. He's mostly used as a blocking tight end simply for the fact that he is six foot six, two hundred and fifty-two pounds. And he still had 16 receptions for 173 yards last season on a pretty underwhelming New York Jets offense for the most part. And I know, you know, Zach Wilson and that whole offense was starting to heat up towards the end of the season. But, you know, New York Jets have never been able to find good tight ends. And obviously, Tyler Croft was not one of them. But he is a very good blocking tight end. Now, I think this will fit in great for the 49ers as this will allow um, George Kittle to be mostly used on receiving plays, not kind of as a mix of both as we all know George Kittle is still an amazing blocking tight end but maybe this signing of Tyler Croft will be able to help him out a little bit so he's not consistently having to do both you know like the workhorse he has been the past couple years for the San Francisco 49ers and finally for our I guess you could say last topic of signings in the NFL it is regarding is regarding Pro Bowl and All-Pro cornerback Kyle Fuller. Now, Kyle Fuller, he's mostly known for his time with the Chicago Bears as he spent his first six years of his career with the Bears, and he was selected in the first round coming out of Virginia Tech back in the 2014 NFL Draft. Now, during his time with the Chicago Bears, he had 19 interceptions, which is absolutely insane. That is a really good number. Now, I mean, obviously, I'm not a statistic nerd, so I don't really understand him as much as a lot of people but I do know 19 interceptions in six years is pretty solid because you're getting, I'd say about on average, about three interceptions each year. So that's pretty decent numbers. Anyway, now he did spend last year with the Denver Broncos after being released by the Chicago Bears due to a cap casualty situation. Now, he definitely had a lot, a lot of lows more than he did have highs with the Denver Broncos as he only tallied 51 tackles and four pass breakups in 16 games played. And I'm probably thinking that's not the end of the world, but he did kind of choke on a lot of coverages, specifically man and even sometimes zone coverages. So it wasn't a great season for him. So obviously the Denver Broncos said, you know what, we'll just let you walk. We're not going to worry about trying to resign you. And then we just continue to waste even more money. Now, anyway, Kyle Fuller, which we didn't even know when he would sign with the team. I thought it would probably be late into the summer, but he actually did make a very quick decision. Kyle Fuller announced on Tuesday that he would be signing with the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Kyle Fuller is also from the Baltimore area, so it makes sense for him to come back home, and now he will be in a stacked cornerback room that features all-pro cornerbacks Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. So it looks like, you know, the Ravens, they're just looking to, you know, rebuild and kind of reload off of last year's injury-riddled season. They had the talent last year. It just could not stay healthy. I mean, that defense already consists of guys like Patrick Queen. Now they went out and got Marcus Williams from the New Orleans Saints. That's going to be a day. I mean, they still got Calais Campbell, who actually decided to re-sign with them for at least another year or two. So watch out for the Ravens possibly to have another great bounce back year not expecting them to be Super Bowl contenders but could very well have a great and deep playoff push now guys that is it for kind of the signing news segment of today's NFL NFL segment but we actually do have a couple interesting topics to talk about some news is kind of going around through the NFL now the first news will be we will be talking about is regarding the NFL Pro Bowl game now, the NFL these past couple days has been discussing kind of the future of the Pro Bowl game. And in case you don't know necessarily why they'd want to be talking about discussing it or changing it or anything like that, 
the game's been kind of criticized the past couple years for players just kind of showing lack of effort. It just There's no point in really trying because it's end of the year. You don't want to get injured. Obviously, you don't want to risk it because a lot of people could either be on a contract year or just simply the fact, hey, you know, I can't afford to get injured in a game that literally has no meaning. Like, if we win the game, cool. If we lose the game, cool. It's more just about the experience for the best of the best during that current season. But anyway... The NFL owners were actually discussing the future of the Pro Bowl during this week's league meetings, and apparently the league has spoken to a lot of players and NFL teams, and they're actually looking for alternatives to the week-long Pro Bowl celebration because, you know, they'll have, like, dodgeball, accuracy, just a lot of fun things for the players to enjoy, you know, for having such an amazing season. Now, apparently there's no vote that is needed to actually have a change for the Pro Bowl. So literally, if the NFL decides, hey, we're going to do this, they don't need votes for the owners or players or whatever it might be. But um, so it's really it's a really interesting situation, and you're probably wondering what's the big deal with it. Well, the NFL, they might be looking just to get rid of it as a whole and just have the festivities regarding the game. Now, if you look at the other, I guess you could say, two to three major sports, hockey, baseball, and basketball, they all have their all-star games during the middle of the season. Even some players have kind of voiced their discomfort in the fact that, hey, why don't we have it during the middle of the season, you know, so it actually could mean something maybe or, you know, just have a lot more, I guess you could say, umph to it, if anything. But anyway, a lot of the players, they've been, like, like I said, they've been voicing their discomfort, whether it's due to just lack of competition or to injury concerns. So we may not actually have a Pro Bowl game anymore. I mean, I know a lot of people aren't really going to complain. Most people, when they go to the Pro Bowl, it's just to see all the players, you know, the, the league's best all in one stadium at one time. That's kind of the main attraction with the Pro Bowl. I mean, I don't think any of us are going to be complaining if there's not a game because, no offense, these past couple years, I wish there really wasn't. And I know a lot of NFL fans kind of share the same opinion with me because it's just been very lackluster and not what we're used to seeing. But anyway, guys, that's enough about the you know whole NFL Pro Bowl situation. I just thought it's kind of interesting because you would think they would still at least have, you know, a all-star-like game. But it's looking like they will still keep the Pro Bowl week. They just won't have that fu that finale, which is the Pro Bowl game with all the players playing. Which I can understand simply for the fact how physical football is and how easy it is to get injured. I mean, it's like that with any sport, but we know with football... You could practically, one bad hit could literally ruin your whole career. And if it happens in a game that you're being celebrated for, it's not really a great look. But anyway, now the next news I want to talk about is actually the Washington Commanders and their current stadium situation. Now, the Washington Commanders, they're still currently playing in FedEx Field. Now, FedEx Field has been, has kind of has a bad reputation with it just as simply for the fact the field is one of the worst, like the playing surface is one of the absolute worst fields throughout the whole league. I mean, players have constantly, and I mean constantly, have asked the NFL to do something about it. They've asked Washington to do something about it. Nothing's really gotten done. And don't even let me get started about the whole bathroom situations and the concourse levels and just the stadium look as itself because... They had sewage pipes actually bursting mid-game and pouring down on, you know, Washington fans mid-game. There's there's a video somewhere on Twitter or Instagram. If you look it up, you'll find it where there's a literal huge sewage pipe just pouring down. And obviously the whole traffic situation where I think it's like I've never been there. I'm from Texas, so I have no idea how 
the stadium is, but from what I've heard and videos of that I've watched and people that have been there and voiced their, I guess you could say, experience at FedEx Field, it's not great post-game because it takes about two to three hours to get out of the area due to how packed traffic is after the game. Now, we all know you're going to have 30, 40-minute traffic. That's just because when you put 60, 70,000 people in one area, it's going to be jam-packed. It's going to have a lot of flow issues, if you want to say. So that makes sense. But when you, when it's constantly like that every single game for two to three hours, which is absurd, that's going to cause a lot of issues, especially in the fact that, it, that, that the stadium is located not even near the D.C. area, which is where the Washington Commanders, that team, is supposed to represent. So, I mean, it's just one of those weird situations where FedEx Field, it's time to say goodbye. Now, the Washington Commanders, they might actually be fi finally making a decision on the future of where their new stadium will be. It was reported on Monday that the Washington Commanders have acquired about an option to purchase 200 acres of land in Prince William County, Virginia, which they're looking to possibly serve as the new site for a new stadium and maybe even more. Now, the option to purchase this land would cost the commanders about roughly $100 million, which is all coming according to the Washington Post. So it's definitely a huge chunk of change to of you know, buy that amount of land, but the land it is located in Woodbridge, Virginia, about 23 miles southwest of D.C., so it would make a lot more sense, you know what I mean? And the Washington Commanders are also looking to purchase another 65 to 70 acres in neighboring Dumfries, Virginia, which is further down, which is further south down I-95, according to ESPN. And you're probably wondering, so what's so special about this land? And, you know, why would the Washington Commanders possibly want to move to this part of the Virginia area? Well, Washington, they reportedly like this spot because of the things it can be built apart from just the stadium. And I guess you could kind of compare it to how the Cowboys are or the Texas Rangers, if anything, because the Texas Rangers, they have a separate venue outside of their stadium called Texas Live. Now, Texas Live has got a bunch of music, entertainment, restaurants, shops, memorabilia shops, whatever you can imagine, it is there. And then not, not to also, you know, add the fact that AT&T Stadium is literally about half a mile away. So, obviously, if you're pre-game for a Cowboys game, you can go over there, tailgate, do whatever you want, and then go to a game right after. So, Washington is looking to buy all of that land so they can possibly kind of make a mold of that as well. And don't be shocked for a lot of these teams possibly to continue to have this same type of blueprint because, hey, if we can make, if we can kill two birds with one stone, selling a lot more food, memorabilia, you know, inventory, like whatever they want to sell, they can do it now because at least they will have a Texas Live type thing outside of their stadium where fans can interact and do whatever pregame, and then they can go waste all their money during in you know during the game. But anyway. Don't expect anything huge to probably happen for a long, and I mean a long, long time, because Washington, their whole, their current contract with FedEx Field doesn't even expire till 2026. So we won't even see this whole stadium blueprint probably start up for about another two or three years. So Washington fans, I'm sorry, you will be stuck with FedEx Field for a little bit, you know, a little bit longer. But there is some hope that maybe, hey, y'all will be finally getting out of that dumpster that is called FedEx Field. But anyway, guys, that wraps up today's NFL segment. And let's kind of transition to our final portion of today's episode. And that will be regarding the NBA playoffs. Now, the playoffs, you know, both sides are, are currently in their conference finals, Eastern and Western. And first, I want to talk about the Western conference finals. And that matchup is regarding the Golden State Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks. 
Now this series for the most part has been pretty much one-sided. The Golden State Warriors currently lead the series 3-0 and they are going to be playing game four on Tuesday night as I am recording this episode. So if the Mavericks get swept, y'all won't be hearing it in this episode, but obviously just know that's kind of the way it's looking. Anyway, Luka has played okay for the most part offensively. The biggest problem has been his surrounding cast. Now, Jalen Brunson, we know for the most part, has been solid throughout the year. He has had his ups and downs, but Dallas just does not have that second star on the team that that all these NBA franchises have kind of chased, whether it was the Miami Heat trying to go out and get Kyle Lowry, or when, now that they've got Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, the Boston Celtics, you know, with Jalen Brown and then um, Jason Tatum, you know, just to name a few, or Milwaukee with Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I feel like Luka needs a second star in his cast because, no offense, Jalen Brunson is not going to be that. No matter how much Maverick fans want him to be that, he will never be that. And obviously we've seen Golden State just pure dominating the Mavericks. Now I won't lie, I haven't really watched too much of this series, so don't expect me to be able to give y'all a full expertise of it, but I will at least try and make sure to, you know, knowledge y'all about the fact that, hey, Dallas is struggling in major time, and Golden State Warriors are kind of exposing some of the flaws that the Mavericks have had for years regarding you know, being in the playoffs. But anyway, guys, currently, and I'll repeat it again, the Golden State Warriors are leading the Dallas Mavericks 3-0 to zero in the Western Conference Finals. Now, as we switch over to the Eastern Conference Finals, this series is actually tied between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. It is currently 2-2, two to two, and it's kind of weird because in Game 4, the Boston Celtics embarrassed the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler, I think, barely had any points. The Miami Heat only scored like like. I think one point in the first seven minutes of the game, which in NBA terms is absolutely insane. So it has been very much back and forth where Miami blows out Boston, Boston blows out Miami. So this this series could literally come down to the last like second of the game because you just don't know what team you're going to get, whether you are a Heat or Celtics fan. But in my opinion, I think the Miami Heat and Boston Celtics series has been a little bit more entertaining because it just hasn't been as one-sided as the the Dallas Mavericks and Golden State Warriors series. But anyway, guys, that is it for today's episode. I hope y'all absolutely enjoyed today's episode. I know that I enjoyed making it for y'all. And once again, guys, I do want to shout out Anchor. And please, if you really do feel like being very generous and just supporting for $4.99 a month, it helps me to better the podcast, better the quality, and eventually give y'all some really cool exclusive perks. So make sure to go check that out on Anchor.com. But anyway, guys, I hope y'all have a fantastic rest of y'all's day. I hope y'all have an amazing Wednesday and Thursday, and I will see y'all back here on Friday. Peace.